Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fuck, Minster Fullers? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF. I just woke up. I'm in uh, a hotel room in Dallas, Texas, and uh, just did a show. Oh, wait, I'm in Houston. Sorry. I apologize. I apologize, Texas. Does it matter? I'm in one of those older, you know, maybe Hyatt's from the 70s where all the balconies are lined up. Uh, so you can see they surround the lobby, but they go up like 20 floors and you can look out and it's just a, a stack of balconies. When you go out to outside your door, you have a hallucinogenic experience by the, the strange angles and the, the, the horrible heights. And it's not pleasant, not pleasant to wake up to. I don't really have a fear of heights, but you don't have to punch me in the face with it. The glass elevators going up and down, all the angles. I'm woozy. I'm woozy. I had to go get coffee, and, and I felt like I was going through some sort of uh, dreamscape. Uh, how is everybody? I'm okay. Today, uh, Zach Woods is uh, on the show, who is a, a lovely man and a, a, an amazing comedic talent and a guy that I'm a big fan of. It's a, it's a very odd thing with Zach. Maybe I should – it's not odd, but it, you know, the guy made an impact on me somehow as, a, as an amazingly uh, funny and, and talented person, brilliant person. Just organically. Didn't even have to seek it out. Well, what happened was, you know, I'd seen, I think I'd seen a little bit of Zach's work on The Office, but I don't watch The Office. Never really watched it that much. And then I watched first season of Silicon Valley, and I saw him in, in that. Jared is the character Zach Woods uh, plays on Silicon Valley. Also on that show, as you know, is uh, my assistant on my show, Josh Brenner, who plays Big Head. Uh, I think he's back for a few episodes there, but he's also back for a few episodes of Marin on IFC, which premieres May 14th on IFC. If you could get IFC for even a few months, that would be nice because that would change the number profile of the ratings system so it would make more people watch it in relatively real time on the network it's presented on. If you could do that for me, that would be nice because uh, there's still an old-style paradigm in place for how people judge the success of television shows with those numbers. So that's my pitch. How are you? Anyway, Zach Wood. So, so I, I'd seen his work on Silicon Valley and uh, I dug it. I thought he was funny, but then my, my niece Eden came into town. I don't remember when that was. And the only place I can think to take her to take the kids is the UCB because they don't have an age thing. 
you can go in with kids. So we went to see ASCAT at UCB, and this guy, Zach Woods, was, was performing in the ASCAT crew as one of the improvisers. And I was like, holy shit, that guy's like some kind of fucking wizard. And then months later, when my other niece, Matana, came out, I took her to UCB. I also took her to Largo. And Zach was there again just by coincidence. And I'm like, she fucking did it again. Guy's impressive. And then I, like, I sought him out. And, uh, and then we made this happen. And we had this conversation with him. He's a lovely guy, talented guy, good conversation. All right? He's on, he was on The Office. He's on Veep. Uh, In the Loop was a film that sort of broke him. And, and he's currently, you can see him on Silicon Valley. Did a show. Here's what's been going on with me. And then I got big, uh, big tour announcements. So hang in. Hang in for a minute and listen to me. That's what we call a tease. Big tour announcements. Coming up. Coming up is the key word to the tease. After this, stay tuned right after these things. All of those are tricks. They're tricks to keep you there. So you, you listen through the advertisements. You listen through the advertisements. Oh, my God. After these, I'm going to say something amazing. Holy shit. If you leave, you're going to miss something you're going to regret. So please stay here. Things you don't have to do on a podcast for a hundred, Alex. I um, I'm in Texas, and every time I'm in Texas, I have this uh, I have this weird feeling that there has always been something in my head that has been threatened by Texas. That that Texas was this huge uh, uh, monster of a state right next to the state I grew up in. We judge Texans, as you witnessed from uh, my conversation with Mike Judge. But every time I come here, every time I drive here, because I rented a car again to drive uh, Ashley and I, my opening act, Ashley Barnhill, doing a great job. Uh, we're in Austin where I rented a car, primarily to get barbecue. Like I, My willingness and desire to get barbecue, willingness, what a funny word. Yes, I'm willing to, to, to eat barbecue. No, I, I fucking need it once a year, it seems. But, uh, but I rented the car primarily to get barbecue, and then I'm like, well, let's just you know, drive the rest of these gigs. So we drove from Austin to Houston and today we're driving from Houston to Dallas. But every time I drive through the great state of Texas, I am amazed at its integrity as its own fucking country. Uh, the people in Texas, you're just sort of like, look at, they look like Texans. They're big, strong jawed people, lanky cowboy style people that look like they can handle cattle and wrestle things. But, uh, but I'm always, uh, I find them charming, more charming as uh, each visit. And I know that sounds odd, but as I get older, and softer in my heart and mind, uh, I have a, a, a more open approach to the peoples of the world. And I'm, I, I think I always had it. I think I just had to reopen that door. But so Austin, Texas, the Moon Tower Comedy Festival went great. Thank you if you came out. We had uh, you know almost, a, I think, maybe a full house at the Paramount Theater in Austin. It was a great show, uh, a good time. Did a nice long one for the peoples. And then uh, the next day, I went to barbecue. Me and Nate Bargetzi, the uh, the great Nate Bargetzi, he's got a special coming out uh, in a few weeks. I should, I should get. We should talk to him. He's he's one of my favorites. Uh, me and Nate Bargetzi, Todd Berry, who I go way back with, and uh, Kurt Metzger, another guy I got to get on the show. Hilarious guy, writes for Amy Schumer's show. We made the comedian pilgrimage out to Opie's in Spicewood, Texas, where I go. That's where I go. Anyone else can go wherever they want. Stay in town, go to Lockhart, go to Mueller's up in Taylor, wherever you want to go. But I go get meat at Opie's, and I brought my friends with me. And it's weird because in Texas, a half-hour drive feels like an hour and a half. 
So these guys were chomping at the bit. They were like, where are we going? Then we come into Opie's and we, they have up their game at that place. So we all got a pile of meat. I swear to God, Austin, Austin is like, it's like Disneyland, but all the rides are meat. But, uh, but so, you know, we got our meat and we, we shoved all that meat in our face. Every time we have barbecue, you know, there's a mixed feeling. There's the feeling of like, uh, this is amazing. And right after that, it's like, I, I can't ever do this again ever in my life. I can't do it anymore. I, you know, I have high cholesterol. I'm a I'm 51-year-old man. I'm not old by any means. But at some point, I have to behave and eat like a fucking person that's trying to take care of themselves. But the road, man, the road. It, the road gets me. I'm out on the road. I can't eat well. I can't. You know, like this rationalization of the road. And granted, you know, I'm not out here, you know, with one syringe in my arm of coke and one syringe in my arm of heroin, like Freddie King style. I'm not, you know, I'm not out here, you, you know, uh, drinking. I'm not out here drinking all night. I, what I'm doing is I'm not exercising and I'm, and I'm justifying and rationalizing my desire to eat horrible food. I had chicken and waffles two nights ago. The night after a barbecue, I had chicken and waffles. Why don't I just put a gun in my mouth? Because why do I got to do that? Why, folks? Why do we do it? Like, I'm okay. Why can't I enjoy some bad food? Why can't I just live with the fact that I went out and had ice cream last night? Why, why, why does this have to be the ongoing dialogue in my heart and mind? My heart that's slowly getting clogged and my mind that no longer understands that, uh, that I'm an old man. Why can't I get my heart and mind on the same page and just allow me to eat these things and, and decide that it's worth dying for? It's worth it. How did he live? Well... He had barbecue once a year that he, you know, resented himself for. But I don't think that's what killed him. I think it was. I don't think it was the chicken and waffles that he had twice in his life, or the ice cream that you know he overdid sometimes. But in retrospect, in the big picture, didn't eat too much of. Uh, I, I don't think it was the the genetic predisposition to uh, to to high cholesterol. I don't think that's what killed him. What really killed him was the amount he beat himself up for engaging in things he enjoyed. It's a very it's a sad state of affairs. The, the guilt and the shame and the amount that he just made himself feel horrible for eating things that were fun is what killed this man. That's what did it. That's what did it. His heart got tired of him beating the shit out of himself. It's a very sad story. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. It was fun to see my friends. That's the one thing about festivals. It was great to go out and eat with those guys and talk to those guys and laugh with those guys and I had chicken waffles with Blaine Capatch and uh, the amazing Dana Gould. And they, these are people I've known for 20 years and uh, we don't see each other much and we get to hang out and eat bad food and laugh. That is the one element, and I've, I know I've talked about this before, but the greatest thing about being a comedian is hanging out with a bunch of other brilliant motherfuckers who know how to make you laugh and have to do it instinctively. With it's it's they have to do it more than communicate like regular people, and you just fucking laugh. It's just fucking amazing. And see, yeah, see, I'm I'm getting nostalgic. I'm tearing up. And also, I have to say, um, that I went and watched Maria Bamford uh, night before last, and I hadn't seen her in a while. And and to the, and still, I I will stand by my belief that she is the best fucking comedian working. She's possessed by true genius. And I look, I'm a jaded person. And I sat in that theater and I had to pee and I didn't go pee because I didn't want to miss her. Loved seeing her. She got married. She's a little, I think she's happier. 
but uh, but I the what she does on stage is unlike anything else, and uh, it's it's it is uh, inspired. She's channeling some sort of mysterious comedy wizard muse. Fucking, you watch Maria Bamford, you walk out, you're like, why do I even do this? She it's she's did she did it all, something. She did it. There's nothing. No one's gonna be as good as her. So I got to head to a Dallas now, and I and and I'm gonna send you back to the garage and listen to my conversation with Zach Wood. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I've seen you a couple times. That's why, like, uh, it's funny. Like, I, I, when I first watched um, the uh, the show Silicon Valley, right. I was like, oh, that, I know that guy. And I brought, for some reason, I had brought my one of the things that I can do with my underage nieces. Yeah is take them to UCB. And I would take them to ASCAT if they came to visit me. So I brought them to, I brought the older one, the first one to a show, and you were on it. And I was like, oh, that's that guy from, and I put it together and like, you know, because you're very funny. You're a good improviser. Thank you. That's nice. You're very funny on the show. Thank you. Uh, but then I went with my other niece, like months later, and you were there again. Dog shit. No, no, you oh, were funny, okay. but like, I was like, there he is again, that guy. Yeah. And, uh, and and you're you're very funny both times, and you seem to be different than the most of them, the improvisers. I don't know how you're an oddball of some kind. <laughs> yeah. So, do you love doing it? Is that why you go back and do it? Yeah, I love it so much. That was the first thing. Like I started doing improv before I had any aspirations towards anything else. I just I I wanted to be a musician when I was a kid. I played trumpet, and I really used, yeah. Wait, where did you grow up? I grew up, I was born in Trent, New Jersey, and I grew up in uh, Yardley, which is in Bucks County. It's like a suburb of Philadelphia. Philly? Yeah. I like Philadelphia. Yeah, I never got into it, weirdly. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I always found it a little depressing, but. Well, it is depressing. I it's think depressing, right? I think Pennsylvania in general is yeah. a little dark. I was just talking about that on the show recently, because I've been there. I went to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I was in Philly. It's heavy, man. It feels like, as a state, it's on the downslope of its existence. Like, its best days are behind it. Like Maybe. A- well, they're trying to sort of... Like, you feel like that, the renovation and stuff downtown, is it sort of worked. They're trying. It feels vital, but it just feels like there's a dark and, in, in, you know, post-industrial right. vibe. It's also, Philadelphia is like kind of a racist city, and they, they're, the sports, I'm not like a big sports yeah. guy, but I remember when I was growing up, Santa Claus would skate onto the ice around Christmas time yeah. at Flyers games, and yeah. people would throw batteries at Santa Claus. They 
that's not racist. That's just weird anti-Santa shit. Yeah, no, no. (laughs) That's just fucked up. Yeah, it's so weird. Because also batteries, like, you could throw drinks or things that they have at the stadium, but batteries are premeditated. Like, you had to bring a battery Why would they, did you, I don't make sense of it. I don't know. Why batteries by specifically at Santa? It's a complicated combination of elements. I think maybe. <laughs> I would say. I don't, maybe it's just like, well, there's an embodiment of pure childhood joy and that. Yeah, kill it. Yeah, destroy but, it. <laughs> destroy it like it was destroyed no in us. There's no room for that anymore. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, maybe that is it. There's parts of Philly that are really nice, you know, but. Uh, but I Trenton, how'd you end up, why'd you, what, you, so you're, you're sort of genetically in New Jersey? Yeah, my parents are both in Bergen County. Like, Mine you know, too. Yeah, Not really? Bergen County. But uh, Morris County. Okay. Yeah. Close. Wow. I like, I feel like uh, New Jersey, I have a lot of nostalgia for Jersey. Like the Turnpike, I, I like really love the Turnpike. Like sure. all those old, you know, th- th- it's hideous. The turnstiles? Yeah. Yeah. I like we it. We throw, throw your quarter. Remember when your grandpa used to let you throw the quarter in the basket? No, that never, never happened. I never happened. Where's oh, the, am I projecting it? You know, oh, you, you mean at the, the, the yeah, yeah, the, the tolls. tolls. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's like, can I throw it in? And then you hear a click in, and then the thing would come up. No, my grandfather was, uh, yeah, disengaged. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you weren't afforded. I feel that so New deprived Jer- of that New Jersey. So, how long were you in Jersey? Uh, I was there till I was like three or four. Trenton is a, you know, really not a great uh, safe city anymore because when Martin Luther King got killed. Uh, 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 this could be totally wrong, but this is what I remembered, that there were big riots and the city kind of never recovered. So it's got all this like Victorian architecture, but then it's very, very dangerous. So it's uh-huh. like it's like the set of Meet Me in St. Louis, but like then the action of The Wire or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. But you, when you're on the train, you drive past that big sign, right? Well, uh, Trenton is industry. Trenton makes, yeah, the, this Trenton is the bridge makes, says, it says Trenton makes the world takes. It's the most indignant bridge. Uh, yeah. I think initially it meant like Trenton makes stuff and then the world takes it. But industry. now it feels like, it's yeah. like, well, they just really. take and take. <laughs> I think, it's all gone at this point yeah what did they make there do you have any idea i don't know that's a good question i don't know what they used to make all right so what's your so why you what, what's your what's your family doing in, in outside of philly uh you know they like moved they used to live in my parents met in uh vermont and then they moved vermont vermont they, From, they were in college here? they met at a mental hospital my mother and father worked at a mental hospital really yeah my mom was my father's supervisor it's better than his nurse yeah right right your mom was your dad's supervisor at a mental hospital so yeah. your mom was a hospital administrator or is she a doctor no she's a nurse practitioner but the, you know she was uh he was like low man of the totem pole maybe they were just working in the psychiatric wing of it. I no, stick remember. with mental. Yeah, it's a mental. They, were, yeah. they met in Bedlam. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then they ended up moving to New York. My father's a shrink, and so he was getting his uh, degree in. Oh, so he was a student or something. When he they had to met? go to New York. Then they moved to Trenton, and and then when they but were when kids, they met, yeah, he. He was a student, kind of, or an intern? Uh, I guess or? he had he finished his undergraduate education, but he was like, yeah, he was doing some... Uh-huh. I guess he was an intern. I should know more about this. No, you shouldn't. So he's a psychiatrist? He's a uh, he's a social worker, but he does clinical therapy. So he's a social worker, yeah. so he's noble. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> we all can Righteous. Theory. Yeah, right. Yeah, he yeah did, he's he a do-gooder. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't settle for private practice. Well, he actually did. He does run a private practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but record. he's that's. But that's his degree, uh, CSW. Yeah. Right. Oh, so you grew up with a shrink as a dad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Oh, and you had an older brother too to mm-hmm. guide you through things. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Did, <laughs> did he? 
Um, I don't know. I, you know, I never had that. I don't think we had like a prototypical older brother thing where he'd like show me how to like catch worms to go fishing or whatever with, or like, how about just here, check out this music? No, 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 it wasn't. Uh, how much older? Three years. Uh, so he didn't like my brother didn't turn you on. Was he, was he have, did he have problems or no, he was a great guy. He is a great guy, but, uh, um, I'm trying to think if he like exposed me to, you know, he was like, I, I do feel like he's an older brother in the sense like other, like probably more physically capable people who have brothers mm-hmm. fight and they learn to mm-hmm. like, you know, handle yeah. themselves physically with their brother. We were not, you know, we were too like anemic to, to do that, but, uh, but, uh, we would argue a lot, you know, you I think I, we like sort of sharpened our knives on each other that way. You mean literally anemic? Not diagnosably, <laughs> but just sort of <laughs> in terms of a quality. Not, not, not jockey. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> not jockey. What did he end up doing? That he guy. designs healthcare policy. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I don't know. What does that mean? Well, he like works. He worked at the Department of Health and Human Services. Now he works in this program where they like t- develop like pilot healthcare programs that they then wow. test on. And my sister, my younger sister, is studying to be a rabbi. So you're Jew? Yeah. Well, like the most secular Jew. Like our 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 satyrs when I was a kid were just like. Really? Like minstrel shows for Judaism. It was like so offensive if anyone could see Everybody just puts on the costume once a year? Exactly. It was like just- But not conservative, so like reform or nothing? Like whatever's whatever's lower than reform. So no bar mitzvah? No bar mitzvah. Uh, Both your parents are Jewish? Yeah. Uh I have one grandfather who was a Lutheran who played organ in a church, but other than that- You have a grandfather who's Lutheran? Yeah. So someone's not a Jew- yeah. Somewhere along the line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. But, uh, all right, so you're in Philadelphia, growing up, right? playing trumpet. Right. And then I got braces. When did that start, the trumpet? I started when uh, I was in second grade. Could you play? Yeah, I was pretty good. And yeah. uh, I was really, I really, I, and then I started devouring all these jazz books. I would, like read the autobiography of Miles Davis. Did you read Art Pepper, Straight Life? I think I did read Straight Life. It's crazy, that book. Chet Baker's book. I oh. don't remember that much about Straight Life. It's all about jail and heroin. It's about 350 pages about heroin. Crazy. Like 50 pages about sex. Like, he basically, our papers like, sex came pretty natural to me. Let's talk about Alcatraz <laughs> and Narconon and heroin. And Chet Baker was a rat. That was his big problem. Chet Baker was like, he like- Yeah, he called him out. He snitched? Yeah. Really? Chet was a snitch. I didn't That's know what that. I heard. That's what, according to Art- Wow. I believe that Chet was a snitch. It's amazing to me that all these guys, you know, these like incredibly technically proficient musicians were heroin addicts. Like, well, it just I, seems like, how did they? I don't know how they lived their like, life. Like, if I get six hours of sleep, I'm basically incapacitated. <laughs> you know, like, I can't. These guys are playing like the, like the most advanced, sophisticated music. For hours. Like, for, yeah, uh, for hours and hours and hours. And it's physical too, yeah. you know? So it I takes can't. a lot out of you. Yeah. Strung out. Right. I know. I just read the book uh, on Richard Pryor and just the amount of coke and booze he was doing and going into to like writers meetings. I was like, what the fuck? Was it different then? I mean, I'd done drinking and drugs in my life, but I could not work at that level. Is there a point at which, because I'm such a control freak, I haven't really done much uh, drinking or drugs, not when I've worked like at all. And I wonder if there's sometimes I've started drinking more lately and it makes me 
unsurprisingly less inhibited and it made me wonder it's like maybe there is like a sweet spot where if you're just like a little drunk it's help it's helpful well that's what we're all chasing is that yeah. sweet spot in life yeah. it's like right <laughs> the worst alcoholics are they're just like there's that just one let time me find I, I hit it once <laughs> <laughs> and, and they spend their life trying to get back to that sweet spot right but but uh well that's good that never appealed to you huh that life yeah, I think, well, because in my very early experiences drinking, I was like, I could feel how irritating I was being. Like, I could feel myself annoying people, but I didn't know how to stop. But when you get uninhibited, what does that look like? I mean, I've seen you do improv, and you're pretty uninhibited in a lot of ways. Improv is like one of the only places where I feel sort of uh, unselfconscious because uh-huh. I've been doing it long enough, right? You know, that I don't, I don't, I'm not watching myself do it usually when I'm. But doing you're very it. sharp at it, and you're kind of dark natured. <laughs> I think probably like I'm a little uncomfortable being aggressive in real life or, or yeah. being, you know, outwardly right. dark. So maybe like, that's where it comes yeah, out. Am probably. I right about that or am I, you don't, I don't know. It's funny. I, you know, I've never seen myself do a show, so I don't really, it's interesting to hear that. I, I don't know. It probably depends on the night too, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and also you have, I guess, sort of a, your physicality, you're a large, tall guy. Sure. And, you cadaverous. Know, <laughs> cadaverous. <laughs> so maybe I'm just uh, projecting the other part. Maybe you just look creepy. Right. <laughs> just look. Right. I look like you I came out know, of a TV ward. No, no, no. No, no. It's okay. No, I feel bad. Don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. Your sister's going to be a rabbi? She's going to be a rabbi. That's bizarre. What kind of rabbi? How hardcore? Uh, Reconstructionist. Oh, I yeah, think. those. Yeah. yeah. The hippie Jews. Yeah, right. Kind of like, we're groovy, we're young, Jews can be cool. Yeah. That one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's who they are. I think my brother was into that for a while. Really? All right, so you're, you're playing trumpet. You're How old were you reading about Chet Baker? 12, 13? Yeah, I don't know when I started like devouring jazz books, but it was um, through middle school. Did you listen to jazz? Uh, I did. Yeah, I listened to a lot of jazz. Yeah. To this day? Yeah. I, although less now, because I think like some of the bebop stuff is so cerebral. Yeah. Like now I'm more, li- I'll listen to like Ella Fitzgerald or something that's kind of like- singing. Some yeah, nice. Yeah, that's something nice. that's not like, like doesn't you know, feel like math problems. Math yeah. problems are like, it's you're exhausted. Yeah, right. Like what kind of mood is that going to- I have a cousin that can't listen to bebop because it makes her anxious. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> I totally get that. Also because if you feel like you're naturally sort of a cerebral person and your your brain's always crowded with thoughts, it's it, bebop just seems like you're just double doubling down on your sure you know it's it can be good background music to me like i my brain is always sort of spinning but like when i put that on it is sort of soothing yeah because i don't pay it, I, it, a passive in, interaction with it it kind of seems like a reasonable backdrop to my head but depending on which bebop it is i mean some of it can be kind of shrill and a little bit much yeah but there's some shit that i can listen to it's even like you know like there's like comedy that's like math comedy it's like the sharpest most cerebral comedy but like it doesn't community yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. But if it doesn't, sometimes even a show like that, like I'll objectively know like this is hilarious and right. brilliant. But right. uh, unless I'm in the right mood, it's hard for me to watch it because I find it, I don't know, I'm well, like easily no. overstimulated or something. Well, I mean, 30 Rock was like that too. <laughs> yeah, it was almost right. like uh, movies from the 30s that the banter is so clip and so quick and everything is so orchestrated. Uh, there's there's no room, like it, it, you're, you wa- you're watching something uh Something so orchestrated and controlled, it's hard to appreciate it. On uh, hard to just laugh. Yeah, it's like it's. I you. I end up marveling. Right. Exactly. Like wow. Yeah. Right. They really put a lot into this. Yeah. Yeah. That took a lot to construct that bit. And they found the perfect specific and the perfect. It's like, and then the performances they like hit it just right. Right. But it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, whereas like uh, you know, sometimes it's just it's definitely not a fart joke. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, all right. So, what happens to the uh, trumpet? Oh, I got cord? braces, and I couldn't. I couldn't play trumpet anymore because I had braces. Like, it was that a up. choice that you could make, or to not get braces? Yeah. My parents took me to Wynton Marcellus's dentist in New York because they a were jazz like dentist? a jazz. His name was Doctor Chops, and they were like, "Was it we're really gonna, his name?" Well, it wasn't his. Oh, that was it his, wasn't his birth name, but right. yes. And because uh, they were like, because I was so upset about it, I was like, "This is going to ruin my trumpet playing." So they did everything they could, but ultimately, I had to get them because my teeth were going to look like you know. A train wreck otherwise really? I could, it, it, apparently it wasn't just cosmetic it would have like actually been bad for like yeah. a medical problem well i had that but they really took, yeah they took the braces off uh, 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 they were a failure really what does mm. that mean like they they, your, they were just like the teeth one it's my jaw issue is a jaw issue ultimately my jaws don't lined up so i had to have made the choice was like the braces are going only going to do so much we need to sort of realign your jaw break it and realign it which is not break it. no i didn't do it so now my teeth are my Gums are all receded, and my teeth really? only meet in two places. But I've lived that way. I'm okay. I'm, you know, my teeth aren't falling out of my head. But I have an indentation in my chest, like a slope. from, the, from orthodonture. No, <laughs> I didn't get that. Bad. <laughs> I have. It's a slope in my chest, and there was another. They had a procedure. They're like, we can put a metal pole through the behind your sternum, and then snap this like indent this slope out so that it's not concave anymore. But we might hit your heart. And I didn't do that either. Oh my god! Yeah. What happens if they hit your heart? Well, it's not it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Never good. It's not when the pole not, that they're running yeah. through your rib cage hits your heart. Someone's telling me there's surgeries in Korea where they'll break women's jaws to make them look more Caucasian. Like they'll like to to to. Oh. It's like a cosmetic surgery. What the fuck is wrong? It sounds really fucked up. I can't, it's horrible. harder. It's harder for me to hear that stuff. Like yeah. I have a physical reaction. Like there's apparently there's a bunch of uh, plastic surgeons in 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 the in in Asia. I was about to say the Orient. Is that wrong? <laughs> is that outdated? I don't in think the, it's wrong if you're like a 19th century uh, like explorer. In, in, the, <laughs> in the Orient, <laughs> where they they have plastic surgery to make uh, people look like anime. Really? Like the women want to look like anime. Oh yeah, and they get those like Big they make eyes. their pupils bigger. Dude, I don't even know. Oh God, I should look into that. Really? Is that something you might want to so do? I, can... <laughs> I would look so horrifying. So, um, so you get braces, and and yeah, I couldn't play. Uh, were you playing a lot at that point? Though? Yeah, I used to practice hours every day. I was oh, like, really obsessive shame. about it. Have you picked it back up? A little bit. It doesn't hold up well no, to neglect, though. Oh really? Yeah. It you know it's like a muscular. Instrument. Was it heartbreaking? Yeah, I was really bummed out about it. I. Uh, I used to take pliers and take the braces, off, the wire out of the braces because I get so frustrated. So like, you could play? Yeah. Did it work? It worked, but then you had to get the wire back in, you know, as a short-term fix. <laughs> so you'd go into the orthodontist without the wire? Yeah, he'd be like, what the fuck? I, I had this know. weird orthodontist. He used to- Not Dr. Chops? About this. No, this is the guy in my hometown. He had he had a, a life-size mural of himself on the wall yeah. putting braces on jungle animals. And then he had a picture of himself- as an orthodontist, putting braces on himself dressed as Superman, he had like all this weird. There's neither one of those makes sense to me at all. No, no, they're it, both bizarre. Was he not... really putting braces on, or they were just a painting or a drawing? It was a painting. He never actually went to the. He never actually put went braces on jungle on safari. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> tranquilized lions and put braces on. Them. <laughs> but it's it was a 3D mural. Like he had like a wooden. I think there was a walrus too. I don't think it adhered to any sort of like actual 
uh-huh. like Animal Kingdom logic. It was like all these different animals had come together, like predators and prey, because they all wanted to get braces from. So from this guy. he did he commission these paintings or do them himself? Or oh you don't God, know? I hope he did them himself, but I think he probably commissioned them. And they were large, huge, wall size. So it was like so the kids will enjoy this. This is that was his angle. Was like there's animals. I'm putting braces on animals. This is for the children to look at when they come in. Yeah, and there's a harrowing, like barely recognizable version of me putting these things on the on the uh, putting braces on the animals. Like he looked weird in them. You, you know, were, in, they were oh oh you're the no doctor, no no I wasn't. Doctor, that would right. be. I wish I was in the murals. Yeah, I was. His, and the other one was him as Superman putting braces on himself. Yeah, it's bizarre. It was really strange. And you went to that guy for what two, three years? Yeah, was he odd, odd guy? He was pretty weird. He'd be like, he'd be like Dizzy Gillespie, man. He'd always like bring up Dizzy Gillespie, and I and I always be so resentful because I was like, you're the reason I can't. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't his fault. Why do you but... keep rubbing it in? Right. So you'd walk in with your wireless braces, <laughs> yeah, and he'd be like, here comes the Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, right. And then he'd... let's get that wire back in. There. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's so sad, the struggle. And your parents were just got to do it, huh? Yeah. Well, I, you know, they were, he, he basically said, like, you're not going to be able to, your teeth are going to be sticking out in such a way that it'll be hard to play. Anyway, anyway you'll yeah. be like this freak. Right, exactly. So, but did, you didn't think of other instruments or try other instruments? Or no, anything? at that point, it was like. How old were you, like 13, 14? Yeah, I guess I was probably 14 or wow. 15. I don't and know. how much of your identity was wrapped up in all the horn? All of it, all of it. I think, like, in retrospect, I think it wasn't even... I like jazz music, but I think more I like the idea of being a jazz musician. Like, I sure, was like, man. That'll, that'll tell me who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to, you know, have my own tastes or preferences or beliefs. It's just, like, all imported all from That's what you jazz. do. That's what we yeah. do, man. Especially as creative people. You just sort of like, you want to just backload a whole persona onto yourself. It's so weird. I used to wear a fedora. Did you? When you were 14? Oh, such a, I looked like such a moron. One, t- one time I was walking down the street and I was wearing this fedora in New York. My brother went to college And you were 14 there. or 15? Yeah, but I didn't have like the other clothes I wore weren't. A fedora-like? Yeah, it was like just normal 14-year-old yeah. boy clothes. And a guy drove up to me, stopped, rolled down his passenger side window and just went, loose the hat. And then just drove away. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it off and I never wore it again. Was that it? That was it. <laughs> that should be the name of your your CD. Yeah. Lose the my, hat. It'll be on my tombstone. Lose the hat. <laughs> Lose the hat. Oh, and you're so fragile then. Oh, my God. I already was like every moment I had the hat on, I was aware, like I was thinking about the fact that I was wearing that hat. Uh, like it was you like, had to. Yeah. What, who, what do you think inspired you to wear the hat? What made you decide that You one? know, I probably thought I was like Cause a latter day. Really? Yeah. Did you pull them off? I feel like you'd actually, you might be able to well, do it. Well, there's one up there someone gave yeah. me. But no, but like everything becomes, but when I was younger, like I had a, a large brim hat that someone had given me. There was a period there where I bought a derby because I thought that might work. Like I went to a fancy hat store and I bought a, a derby. Where do you remember the first time you wore the derby out? Yeah, I didn't, I only wore it once or twice. You know, it just didn't work out, you know, because it's so look at me-ish. That's the only problem with that is as when you start to realize that about your ego as a performer before you become a performer, yeah. there's so much of what you're doing is just sort of like, and you don't really think of it at the time, but it's really to draw attention to yourself. Oh, t- constantly. I, Halloween, I used to do all this stuff that was like, like looking back, now I hate Halloween. Like I'm too self-conscious to to participate in Halloween. But as a kid, that was right before I was performing. I remember I used to, 
I one year I learned the words to staying alive, you know, the yeah, Saturday sure. night. And I got like four of my friends and I choreographed a dance and I got them to go. They were essentially like accessories in my costume. Like I, I bullied my friends into like being backup dancers. And then I would go door to door and we would ring the door and then I would lip sync to staying alive. Uh-huh. And all my friends would do this choreographed dance behind me. And But did you let them get candy as well or? they got candy but, but none it, of the i wasn't i was i was looking for something bigger than candy yeah the, <laughs> yeah but you had leadership qualities clearly well i don't know it was just coercive and <laughs> annoying <laughs> why do you remember the logic behind that did you wear a disco outfit yeah oh okay yeah i think i just thought well people are really gonna love this <laughs> <laughs> and I remember one guy he opened the door and he's like do you want candy or not shit I ain't got all night and I was oh, like really? yeah I just like wilted oh my god yeah. another lose the hat moment yeah I've had a lot of lose the hat moments <laughs> message received world <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, alright so like when do you start uh, the interest in in, uh, in the comedic arts well my brother went to co- college in New York and he'd, he'd been Which to college? ASCAT he went to Columbia how old are you? I'm 30. Oh, you're young. Yeah. Okay, so he went to Columbia. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. He's a smarty pants. Yeah. And he said, uh, he told me about ASCAT, you know, As- oh, well, right. That's you I went to, to ASCAT, Washington, right? yeah. Uh, at the old, so that was the at old the old one. space. Right, with that converted strip club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that used to be a strip club. With the weird chairs? Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, like on 23rd or 2nd, yeah. something like that. Someone told me that they're like old... I guess it used to be a strip club and they had like a fairly large Hasidic clientele. So like these Hasids would show up to the old UCP oh, yeah, and they'd yeah, think yeah. they were going to see a strip show and then they just have to watch like alt comedy for oh, that's right. And like, minutes. and Matt Walsh like lived upstairs. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Right. So that, that era. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I, I heard about that from him and then I started taking the train up uh, into the city and taking classes. From uh, Philly. Yeah. From outside of Philadelphia. Right, yeah. right, right. So, all right, so you visited your brother. You lost the hat. Yeah, I lost the hat. <laughs> did, you just, did you throw it away? or? Yeah, and, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I probably just buried it deep in a closet. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I don't think I've ever been more confident than I was in middle school going into high school like the period that people most most people describe as like the worst yeah i feel like i felt bulletproof i was like walking around in a hat and doing disco dances and shit now i'm like but the, but if that's so a, riddled with <laughs> self-doubt but back then i was like well that's interesting yeah. it's an interesting idea because is that really confidence because i there's a picture of me performing not in middle school but later yeah. wearing a big brimmed hat yeah i'm on stage with a t-shirt <laughs> and glasses that are tinted are you doing stand-up or are you yeah, playing music stand-up okay Wearing a big brimmed hat, like, I, like to me though, like I don't, like I, I, I know I was cocky, right? But I don't think I was. There was no way I was confident. Like it was like what you were saying is this sort of like, you know, backloading a persona into yourself. Like you know, you see yourself in a certain way, and you you sort of model yourself after these other people, but you haven't really earned your personality. When you would wear that stuff, aren't you just kind of like loading heckler's guns for them a little bit? Like, like I didn't think about that. No. I, I thought I was some sort of like, you know, hey man, I've seen some shit. That guy, yeah, you, you know, yeah. What I mean? like like world weird, like yeah, I was aggressively, you know, I was twenty three, right. you know, and I'd really 
23-year-olds 23-year-olds with old man affectations are yeah. the fucking worst. I was that guy. Guys who are like veterans who yeah. like want, <laughs> like grizzled old salt. Yeah, yeah. 23-year-olds should just wander into the ocean. Well, they but they they're just trying to <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I'm cover being, up. I'm not. Oh, no, no, no. But yeah. like like I'm just addressing the fact that you felt the most confident you were because you had decided on some things, but it wasn't really confidence? No, I yeah, right. It didn't go that deep. When did I mean? When did you kind of? I mean, I have to imagine. But I don't know how anyone handles it. But you seem like a sensitive guy, kind of fragile, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that's just your character. But I mean, like, I would think that going into well, you weren't doing acting per se, but going into improv, I would have that must have shredded whatever sense of persona that you you decided upon. <clears throat> well, I was such a dick. The first class, you know, I was the youngest. I was sixteen, and it was mostly people in their twenties. And the first class, there's this great improviser uh, who used to teach in New York called Billy Merritt. His, I know him. The, yeah. yeah, he's out here now. Yeah, he? he's terrific. Yeah, and he was my first teacher and the first day in class you went around the room and he said tell everybody your name and why you're here and I said uh, when it got to me I was like or he said your name and what brought you here and I and when it got to me I said my name's Zach and what brought me here was a train (laughs) I mean what a fucking moron and and he was like unbelievably gracious about it and he was like no no why why do you want to do this you're going for the laugh yeah, but Jesus. Did you like, get it? No, thank uh, of course, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, I think I got like a everybody was ready courtesy to share. laugh. Right, right. Yeah, but um and then I was like, you know, I'm actually 30 years old, but I have a disease that causes me to look younger. And then people laughed at that because again, just to try to like ease the tension that I created with my unfunny remark. Yeah. And then and then I was like, why are you laughing? I'm serious. And then I was like, nah, just playing, y'all. And it was just like, yeah. I I still feel so grateful to Billy that he didn't, he had every justification to just be like, fuck this guy. Like, But he, that's a dark sensibility I was talking about. You know, that your first words out of your mouth were lying about a disease that people actually have in <laughs> <Sure>. the world. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. That was so, I still feel like the cringes but when were, I think about it. But you were it. cocky. You were uh-huh. a cocky teenager and going for the laugh. Yeah. Why but- not? So Billy was just sort of like, okay. And you, did he make you get honest in that moment or didn't you? Yeah, know? but he was so he was so gentle. Like I feel like later when I was teaching, if somebody had done that, I probably would not have been as compassionate as he was. What would you have done? I don't know. I think I would have like maybe, you know, made a little speech about how, you know, it wasn't necessary. You didn't have to do a frantic tap dance for approval all the time. <laughs> you could just, right. you know, that, that it makes other people uncomfortable and it, yeah. So you really are a a product um, of of UCB, yeah. And that's why I do it now. It's like it's my favorite thing. It's where I feel like when it, when a show's going well, like when it's a good improv show, it's the most sort of alive and yeah. myself that I feel. Do you it's feel amazing. that way with stand up? Yeah, because I yeah. improvise a lot. Yeah, uh, and I love doing it to the point where I'm like, when it's going really well, I'm like, I should probably do the material, right? Like I feel like oh, that's you, funny. Like, it's like I homework. Well, no, but I don't know if they feel like they're getting ripped off. You know, like even though they're getting laughs, there's something about improv in the context of stand-up yeah. where you're sort of like, do you, have, do you have jokes? Do you have things you prepared? Or are we just going to, this is fun, but where's the, uh, you know what I mean? It's one thing to go to an improv show. It's another it's interesting. thing to like, because I do have like an hour, hour and a half of new material. Yeah. But if I get on a riff... And and things are kind of popping, and I'm exploring. I love it. It's the best thing in the world for me. But for the first time the other night, I realized like I'd done probably about 25 minutes of that, 
and it was great. Yeah. But then I start going like, okay, let's start the show. But hold on now, the audience is reacting positively, right? Sure. They're laughing. They're interested. Yes. Do they care? I, as long as I don't, it's, no, no, right? I'm projecting. They couldn't, I'm projecting. Yeah. They have no. They might not even know what's what's. Well, one guy scripted. said, some guy tweeted like, uh, "I saw Marin the other night. Uh, he improvised for a half an hour, and then he did uh, about a half an hour of his hour. So now I guess I got to go to another show to see the rest of his hour." <laughs> Which, is, but he's being funny, and yeah. I, and he wasn't unhappy about it. But uh, for me to improvise it for things to happen and to ride that out, I love it. But I never did improv really. I always did it by myself with an audience. I think I would be too. I kind of feel like uh, there's something about improv where you like, um, yeah, I guess it's shared responsibility and shared blame if it goes bad that makes it. The idea of doing it by myself is just like totally. Although I did take a stand-up comedy class. Like the when I was 16, I took an improv class and a stand-up comedy class. At UCB? No, it was called like the American Comedy Institute, which was just Who like, taught that? Uh, Steven Rosenfeld or something. Steve Rosenfeld know. from San Francisco? Maybe. Huh. Yeah, but that I was like, I felt you know, really ill at ease. And then when there's other people, I, I, I can't imagine. Do you, uh, I'm curious about that. Can I ask you yeah. a question? The, with uh, Twitter, right? I'm not on Twitter and you strike me as probably as a sensitive gentleman as, as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. How do you withstand, like, 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 inevitably you see things, even that, right? The guy makes a joke. Yeah. It's like a, a playful joke. Yeah. But like, I feel like when I first started doing The Office, um, I read comments. I would read comments, and I can still I could recite like mean comments that I read five years ago. And I had to just be like, I'm not reading anything ever again. Hurt it you. just like, yeah, hurt my feelings. Like, yeah. and, and it, it right? Yeah, like, but but isn't Twitter just like an endless stream of even yeah. positive, negative feedback? Doesn't it just like crowd your brain? Yes, How do you... it does to the point where I think it's making me like slightly detached from life really yeah like it, it's emotional roller coaster it's like a crack pipe you know it's like it's going good for a while and then like you just get a bad hit and some guy takes you down but that but the sensation i it's hard to understand man but i used to take it really personally and i'd flame for i'd just flame out at trolls and like lose right. my mind but now i'm i'm actually developing a bit of a a, a, a tougher skin Really? I've always wanted to, you know, just to sort of like take a hit. Because a lot of times the the things, the negative things people say will hit home with you if you have felt them about yourself. Right. If they're off base, you're like, wrong guy. Right, right. But, but usually if it's within the spectrum of things <laughs> that you judge yourself harshly sure. about, which with sensitive people can be pretty broad, right? then it's going to hurt. So lately, I've, I've just started to realize that those people are just mean horrible people and i don't even know who would go out of their way to do that does it do, do nice things make you feel good or is it just the bad things make you feel bad nice things make me feel good but i don't take them in as much or in the same way right they're less credible in some way right like you well, just yeah, because feel like you're insecure in right, some way or you, right. you're self-hating <laughs> and also the problem is is nice things like if they're really genuine like yeah. you helped me out or like you know i was going through a hard time and that stuff i can hear that stuff but if people like, uh, you know, I got a good laugh. I'm like, eh, that's, that's not enough, hmm. really, uh, or whatever. Yeah. But the fact is, if someone hits a good insult on you, like, you feel it in your guts. Like, oh. it's so visceral. Oh. Oh. It's, it's horrible. It's like a physical, yeah. It is. But it's like, it is a feeling. And it is profound. So that's enough just to, just to no, have it's an not good. Feeling. It's not good. Right. That's what I mean. 
No, it is hard, dude. And I wouldn't recommend it necessarily to if you don't if you don't find any joy in engaging with the world on that level. I, I kind of like it. I like the poetry of it. Yeah. I like just because I get very impulsive about Twitter and sometimes I, I, I throw stuff out there as just garbage. Like I'll just put uh, I'll just put the word nap and, and just tweet it. Right. And <laughs> Because that's what I'm going to do. Do you? But, can you? Is it? Does it become kind of like a diary where you can look back at old tweets and chart your moods and your sometimes. periods of your life? You're like, oh, that was. I don't was... do it as much as I used to. Yeah. Like I'm. I've been a little busy, and I just. And also, you burn a lot of material that way. But so when, but you find you're very sensitive to that. Yeah, I mean, I you know everybody is. Every performer I know is. Anyone who goes to a comment section, there's nothing good. At the comments. I saw an interview with someone, it was like Molly Shannon or someone was saying that they described it as cutting, you know, like when, like, it is. That's, a good, cut, that's right. They're like reading comments is like cutting. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So I try to avoid it. So, okay. So you're 16, you're taking Billy Merritt's class. It's funny because as somebody who is a UCB product, mm-hmm. a product of it, I don't want to say that you're a product, though you are <laughs> okay. an entertainment, piece of entertainment product at this point. Um, <laughs> But like, because all they they were all sort of Del Close guys, right. people, right? That right. they come from that Chicago school, and then they built this other thing. It's just interesting that now there are definitely graduates of the UCB style of uh, of improv. Yeah, it's pretty strange how like UCB has kind of populated a generation of uh, you know TV. Yeah, uh, it's 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 amazing. I know it's pretty peculiar because I- Second City had done it before, right? And now, like, they kind of are the new thing. Those four people. I remember when they were just those four people. It's interesting. Like, when people go to Harvard or something and then they become, uh, you know, a a titan of industry, it kind of makes sense because it's like, well, this is an institution that's designed with success in mind. Right. But UCB, like I said, it's like an old strip club. There's, like, all these used condoms like behind the seats <laughs> there are you know yeah they, they like always find these like old condoms because i guess it was also people would have sex for money there and um but I, how, how long did that go on for i would I question think it was like an endless horrific easter egg kind of <laughs> prophylaxis <laughs> prophylactics um but uh that place felt so loose like it it yeah. didn't feel like okay these are a bunch of people who are really yeah focused right. on their own ascent i don't know if they were necessarily no i don't think they were so that's what's so strange is that that then produced all these people who well that was 2001 you started going yeah. so they were all sort of around or no yeah amy had just started on snl i think okay recently. so matt and ian and and matt were all there yeah the two matts ian and amy right were teaching yeah i never took classes with any of them i did like workshops and stuff but but they were around you could see them perform so I used to fall asleep. I used to Matt Besser did a one man show called May I Help You Dumbass where he he had a phone number that was similar to like a computer helpline and so people would call him and he'd fuck with them and and he made a CD they call him thinking he was the computer helpline and then he'd fuck with them. Uh and I used to fall asleep to that in high school. I would like listen to Besser's one man show as I fell asleep. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So you were locked in. So you went right yeah. from the right, the trumpet now you had a new thing. Yeah. So the first improv class you took was was with Billy. Right. And what happened? Like, what made you go like, oh, fuck, this is great? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, part of it is I liked having a secret comedy life in New York. Like, I didn't tell anyone I went to high school with that I was doing it. Like, it was exciting for me to get to go to New York and hang out with all these 20-year-olds and, like, be in New York. And, yeah. And, and no Your parents were cool with it? They were really cool with it. Yeah, it was weird. And... um 
it was just the most fun. It was like the scariest, funnest, most exciting thing. And I felt like I, I initially, I felt like I was okay at it. I felt like it was, oh, God, I'm okay at this, maybe. Did it feel like, like, did you get, like, at what, with the trumpet, were you able to improvise? Yeah, yeah, I used to play, I used to, that's the other thing. I think, like, when I was, wanted to be a jazz musician, my fantasy of what my life would be, would be, like, playing in basement clubs late at night, improvising, making not a lot of money, but, right. like, really artistically engaged. And then doing improv is not that big a leap. You know, you're in these basement clubs improvising late at night, not making any money. Right. It's, like, very similar. I, I, if you couldn't play trumpet anymore, but you wanted as close an existence to a jazz musician as you could. Were you actually in, in, involved in a, a very deep personal exploration that is collaborative? Yeah, exactly. Huh. It's not lonely. No, no. But, like, it is you. Like, you know, you have this support. And you know that there is a structure there, right? But you, it's you know, you can go wherever you want to go. That's right, right. It needs you, but you're not all there is, right? And that's that was really nice. I also think I'm such, and a, also you have freedom. You have so much freedom. Creative freedom. The other thing is, I think I'm such a anxious, like kind of controlled, controlling guy, that there was something so wonderful about something uh, um a task right improvising where if you aren't present if yeah. you don't sort of relinquish control you'll be humiliated you you cannot it is a uh absolute absolute necessity that you be present and and give up your sort of preconceived notions and your you know so that that to me was like the one time i could get out of my obsessive compulsive brain and just be present do you have real ocd i had some of that stuff like yeah, when I was a, did you ever read The Witches by Roald Dahl? Uh-uh. It's a kid's book, but uh-huh. it's about these witches. But at the beginning of the book, he says, um, anyone could be a witch. They don't wear a tall pointy hat. They don't ride on broomsticks. The post lady could be a witch. The old lady down the street could be a witch. Even your teacher who's reading you this book right now could be a witch. See how she smiles at the absurdity of the idea? That could be a cover. She could be a witch. So I read that when I was a kid. Someone read it to me. And I got into my head. I was like, what if my mom's a witch? And uh, I'd be, I'd ask her, I'd be like, mom, are you a witch? And sh- and she'd be like, no, I'm not a witch. And I'd be like, okay, okay. But that's what a witch would say. Right. And I would just endlessly torture myself where I was like, oh, fuck. Like, what if my mom's a witch? Yeah. And uh, I feel like I've had some version of that ever since. You know, like it, it, it obviously, I eventually realized that my mom was not in fact a witch, but you, that what, kind what, of what, like what unanswerable. What, what did it take to prove that to you? <laughs> I just think it was just, just went time. away over time. Yeah. <laughs> there never, wasn't an inquisition at the house. No, no, I never caught her in a coven and mm. then I, you know, it So what that is called that that's what what is that called? Some type of thinking. It's, it's uh, like looping thoughts yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the official diagnosis is. Right. Oh, so you've had that. I've had of lots of stuff like that. It's yeah. Fr- it's frustrating. Yeah. And it's, it's cuz it defies logic. Like your brain wants to repeat it. It's unresolvable, right? right? It, that's right, what that's it, it, it's yeah. terrifying. Like from a little kid's perspective, like what's the scariest thing to not be able to trust or rely on the people yeah, yeah, who you yeah. have to trust and rely on. And so it's like, okay, so what if I couldn't trust her? And there's no way you can't solve it. You can just endlessly right, run on that wheel. The thought of 
of them not being trustable or them being a witch, certainly your parents is just, it's that same feeling of like getting insulted. It's just like, it, it hurts your heart every time. Like what if I can't, what if my mom, like, right. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Terrifying. It's kind of titillating in some weird way. Yeah. Uh, like and terrifying, terrifying. Right. It's like, it gives you a charge, a horrible charge, right. But it makes you feel like a oh, horrible what? charge. Yeah. That's what you get. That's what it is. Yeah. That's that feeling of like, when you see that bad tweet, a horrible charge. It's compelling. It's really compelling. It's it, that's what I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it wasn't. My mom was wonderful. It wasn't like she was. She didn't right. have witch like attributes yeah, but that's in what, any way. But that's what a, the, a woman with the secret life of a witch would be exactly. like. Exactly. Right. Mm, I don't know. I'd revisit. You think? You think I should take another look? <laughs> uh, so uh, okay. So you're going in there. But what do you think that is though? The control thing is like. Because everybody has it to a certain degree, but you've called yourself sort of a control freak, uh, you know, several times in this. How does that <laughs> manifest itself? I mean, are you? Is it generally? Because usually it's some sort of almost innate attempt at, at at dealing with anxiety and fear. Yeah, I think it was anxious. Yeah, I think like my family is like a very talky family, you right? Know, like, um, it's like it's psychologist kid, right? And so, to some extent, <laughs> like the degree to which you could articulate your feelings or your opinions was the degree to which you had, um, you know, a voice, which mm -hmm. makes sense. Right. But I think I, I ended up being sort of cerebral and, and my default way of managing things was to try to sort of think them through or right. to Figure them narrate out. them or, right. you know. You never, did you ever need medicine? No, or maybe, but I never took medicine. Yeah. yeah. So you dealt with it. Yeah. The, the improv helped. Yeah, it really helped. And everyone has their things, you know, sure. everyone has their whatever, yeah. their compulsions or their... So you, when did you start to surface as a, a sort of a star within the ranks over there? I mean, you were 16. <laughs> no, but I mean, just in terms of like, how often were you going and like, what what happened? So you graduated high school and you just what? Uh, well, I started performing there when I was still in high school. So I would take the train. I wasn't sleeping a lot because I would do these shows in New York two or three times a week and then I'd come home and then go At to like high one school one in the morning yeah i'd like be driving home from hamilton new jersey train station and i'd turn on in the winter i'd turn on the ac roll down the windows blast music and just like scream to try to keep myself awake as i drove home because i was so tired wow um and uh so that was kind of exhausting but then i went to college in new york uh i went to nyu mostly just because i wanted to keep doing uh, ucb stuff yeah and then that just continued for years, you know. I so you finished college. Yeah, I finished. What did you What did you do at college? Well, I went to this program called <laughs> Gallatin at NYU, which is like this like choose your own adventure college. Like it's you don't. Did they do, actually call it that? Choose your own adventure. I don't know if that's in their literature, but that's the gist of it. It's like it's all your. You don't have a major. You have a colloquium, and they're all these hybrid things. So it's like. It, like it's always the uh, like one you know the major like a major at Gallatin would be like the intersection of micro micro gastronomy and third wave feminism it's like these like hyper specific combined things so like my colloquium colloquium ended up being the relationship between Christianity and the civil rights and abolitionist movements but it was kind of it was kind of bullshit I think a lot of people get a good education there but I was just focused on UCB but why would you pick that <laughs> that those two like if you just if you were just focused on ucb like if you had everything in the world like it seemed like micro gastronomy is that when well, it's just like all these like you know but why'd you pick the christianity and the civil rights movement then? um i i think because i read all these jazz books when i was a kid i was sort of interested in black history yeah 
So I just signed up for all these classes that I was interested in, and a lot of them were black history classes. And then when it came time to sort of title my major, I just was like, well, I took a lot of stuff about black history and a lot of religions courses, so I just sort of retroactively came up with that. What was the religion curiosity about? Um, I don't know. I guess I, did. I probably took less religion courses than black history courses. Did you get a good grade in this thing? Do they yeah. have grades? Yeah, I did okay. But I also did like, I would get internship credit for, I was teaching at UCB in college, so I would get like internship credit for teaching. Uh-huh. I get, I would try to get class credit for all this shit I did at UCB and they would do it because they were like an incredibly accommodating, flexible. But what was it? What kind of degree do you get after that? It's a I, Bachelor of Arts. And and was that this was a special program within NYU that you yeah. had to find? You sought it out? You just didn't want to go to regular college? I or? said right before I went to college, I had a conversation with my parents because my parents paid for college. And right. NYU is really expensive. Yeah, right. I said, you know, I think I just want to go to UCB and I think I want to pursue this. And maybe we should, you know, I could go to a like CUNY, City College, and it'd be $5,000 and I'd still have a degree. And they were like, no, no, you should go to NYU. In retrospect, I think it would have been a good idea to go to the City College. Like, it's so expensive. College is so expensive yeah. that unless you really... So you didn't find that it... That it did not, it did nothing for you. No, the teachers were amazing. You know, there's like smart people working there, and I met people who I, you know, still very close with a, yeah. a couple. But um, yeah, I don't think it was worth six figures. Yeah, yeah. Did it give you a, a deeper understanding of the black community? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like you know, in a pinch. Could you be some sort of community leader? Or, uh... <laughs> That's just what the black community needs is me <laughs> leading the charge. I'm the new, I think of myself as the new Al Sharpton. Oh, good for you. <laughs> Thank you. So that's, you could always do that. I think I did have like an, a really fucked up, inappropriate sense of like, like when I was a kid, we were, were on a family vacation once and Louis Armstrong came on the CD player. Yeah. And in Miles Davis's autobiography, he talked. He called Louis Armstrong an Uncle Tom, which Louis Armstrong was not an Uncle Tom. He was like a pioneer, you right, know. Right. But I just read Miles Davis' autobiography, and I was like, I was just parroting everything yeah, I'd heard sure. My, Miles Davis said. So I, I said in the car, I was like, you know, Louis Armstrong was an Uncle Tom. <laughs> yeah. and my father and my brother were like, "What the fuck? You can't say that." Like, a, it's not true. B, like, have you looked in a mirror? Like, who are you? Like, who do you think you are? And I was insistent. I was so angry. I was How old like, are you? This is fourteen. Yeah, I was like probably yeah. Yeah, fourteen. What? And I just like got. I like went to the fucking mats like about <laughs> Louis Armstrong and sent the black community back, which is the most idiotic thing you well, can you say. went with miles you went with miles yeah you're, you're on board i well you know consider yourself lucky to have a father and a brother that were sophisticated <laughs> enough to fight you on it. oh god they were like you moron <laughs> like didn't even really know what you were saying this that might have actually gotten physical i think i might have actually struck my brother in defense <laughs> of miles davis unfair assessment of louis armstrong <laughs> that might have been one of our few fights where yeah, i was he, like this requires this has to come to blows did he knock your fedora off <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> well that's interesting man yeah, so weird. so you ended up teaching improv where at ucb at ucb and, yeah and did, is that that's it and then you just went, moved out here or what well happened? no i you know i remember you know you know who katie dippled is she wrote uh the heat 
and she works with Paul Feig a lot, and she worked wrote on Parks and Rec. We used to take improv classes together, mm-hmm. but we were talking about once, you know, years and years and years ago. She was like, "What do you want to do?" And I remember saying, "Like, if I could just do improv and have a temp job during the day, I think I'd be happy." Um, that was your big plan. Yeah, I didn't have. I never thought like, "Oh, I'm going to be an actor." Yeah, but then I started doing commercials to help pay. Well, the that's bills. interesting because you saw you saw improv as a way of life and as a therapeutic way of life in a way, and it's something vital. That, yeah, you know, it wasn't something like I don't. Not, why ruin it by having it be a job? Yeah, and it was just the happiest I ever felt. It was like the most. And you were teaching. Yeah. And so, and and then I started doing commercials because I was like, I need a, you know some more money. Yeah. And uh, then that led to getting this agent, and then I got a movie called In the Loop, and then I was from that. I remember that was that with uh, James Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a military satire of some kind, right? Or... Yeah, it's about sort of the build up to the war in Iraq. Right. So I did that movie, and I remember thinking when I shot that movie, I was like, wouldn't it be amazing if Allison Jones, because I knew who Allison Jones, the mm-hmm. casting director of all these great comedies, I was like, what if she saw that and she liked me and she put me on something? And then that happened. Really? It was so weird. How did you know her? I didn't know her. She saw the movie and then- But I, you said, you. what if Allison Jones saw the oh, movie? Oh, I knew her because I was obsessed with Freaks and Geeks, so I'd, I'd found out who cast it. And the American Office, I was like, I would watch that. And so I just knew who she was. You were obsessed she, with Freaks and Geeks? I loved Freaks and Geeks. Martin Starr to me was like the working with Martin Starr now is such a weird surreal thing because Martin Starr was like one of my favorite comedic actors. Really? Just, well, come on, Bill Haverchuk. No, like, I love it. Like, I love talking to him about it. And I, yeah. yeah, that there's moments in that character's uh, arc that just kill me. Right? It, yeah, it, more than comedy. It, oh. you must have identified with him. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. But I mean, did, how old were you? Were you young enough when? When was that on? How did you first experience? I saw it on DVD. Games? Like. A friend of mine was like, you have to watch this. When you were in high school or older? No, older in college. So you got obsessed with Freaks and Geeks in college? Yeah, totally. I to mean, the point where you found out who the casting director was. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw she cast all these other great things. Okay, so she sees In the Loop. She saw it. And I, I had that fantasy. I was like, what if I do this movie? She sees it. And then she set up a meeting with me and the producers of The Office. And then they gave me a part on The Office. And this is like, I'd had that exact fantasy. I was like, what if, wow. if she saw it and then I got on the office somehow and it happened. How many offices did you do? Like 50 or so. I did a bunch, yeah. I mean, it was a very small part. You know, I was like the a tertiary character in the sixth season. So, uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it's so weird. You know, they say that thing like life is what happens when you're busy making other plans or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like in this weird way, like these plans actually panned out. right. And so it's... Has she used you in other things? Uh, yeah. I've done some movies, like very small parts of movies with Paul Feig and... Uh, Which ones? What? Well, I can't I did remember. a tiny thing in The Heat and I just did a small thing in this movie, Spy, that he made. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me. He's a nice guy. He's wonderful. He acted on my show and I've talked to him. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, it's interesting when people are that high achieving and and like warm people. It's, yeah. They, 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 they're not... Yeah, they're, they're they're around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's reassuring when you meet someone like that. And then, how did you get the gig in Silicon Valley? I just auditioned. I, I auditioned uh, for Mike Judge, and he put me in it. And uh, it's all sort of bewildering. I mean, I feel so lucky. I feel so. It's crazy a great lucky. part. I mean, it's great for you. I mean, Thanks. how much? How much of it is your conception in terms of of the character? Because you're sort of doing a, a, a You're not being yourself, right? Exactly. Right. There, there is. Uh, hopefully not a very defined you know sensibility to that character it's uh, how close was it to your audition 
different. Initially, the part was this kind of more conventional business guy. Uh -huh. And then in the second episode, which was written by this guy, Carson Mell, who's this really great yeah. writer, he wrote stuff that sort of pointed to him being a little bit more... Um, I don't know if low status is the right word, but but a little bit more of a gentle kind of peculiar character. And, and then I started improvising a lot. I would improvise a lot. And they keep some of it, but mostly I think they started to realize like, okay, this is what he likes. Uh, this is what he's interested in. And then they would write to that and then I'd improvise based on what they'd wrote. And so I, I, I suppose in some ways it was probably So you helped chisel it out. I, I think so. But, but also like, you know, they're the best. The writing on that show is is pretty staggering so i don't i don't want to like take credit the, the the character is their idea i but i think my improvising probably helped them learn my voice right because yeah. you know all those elements of control freakiness <laughs> yeah, i guess right so. you, yeah. you know like in almost a codependent you know it's interesting nurturing thing that that is hyper anxious in a way <laughs> yeah, that's funny right yeah well, I also think because I'm not like a trained actor, I need to improvise just to get loose. Like, like I have to improvise in scenes just so that I can be present, you know. But I like also the idea that, you know, finding that character through what was written and also whatever the in interaction is with these other characters. Because, like, Martin Starr is a Satanist, is, well, is, <laughs> is completely, like, he's thrilled about it. And he, you know, he's had his journey to where he is now is is kind of daunting in terms of, how show business has yeah. sort of shook him up and, right. and, 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 and to the point where he was, you know, he abandoned it a bit. So, so I imagine that, you know, having to find your character the way it is, is the most organic way to do it. I mean, well, you know what else too? I played this character on the office was kind of like a, cre like a bit of a creepy guy, like a little yeah. off putting. And yeah. I really wanted to make sure that I wanted to play someone who I really like loved, like I thought was like base essentially a sweet person, you know. Right. Even if they're peculiar, I wanted them to. Yeah, I wanted. So to, you're aware of that? Yeah, I was like, I don't want to play. A, I don't want to just play like dark. You know, like you said, I yeah. can. I, I've played the most of the parts I got early on were these kind of dark, uh, off-putting guys. Right. Right. I was like, I want to play. I, I don't mind if he's strange, but I just want him to have like his heart in the right place. Right. You know? yeah. And and you like working with everybody? I, obviously, you're going to say you're going to be. Everyone happy. always says yes, right? But this this is the happiest professional experience I maybe have ever had. It's so so good. Why? Because I like I just adore all of those guys. Yeah. I just think they're like. I've never had like a big group of male friends before. Yeah. And this is like the first time I've had that experience uh -huh. of like, I just really like them. Uh -huh. I just find them like easy to be around. I can be myself. One thing that's really nice about that show is like, I don't know, you'll go on sets, right? And sometimes you'll get the feeling that there's like seething resentment and all sorts of unexpressed anger. Yeah. What's nice is like in the instances where people have a problem on that show, like if anyone ever gets mad at each other, yeah. we'll like fight. We'll like talk about it. Oh, really? Like yeah. about what? Well, I don't know. Like, if someone said made a joke that hurt someone else's feelings or kind of, that kind of shit, someone would be like, "That hurt my feelings." Like, people like actually just talk about stuff, no and kidding. then it gets resolved. It's like the healthiest working environment, just among the cast. It's it's so wonderful, and and so it feels like there's like real affection and respect, and and then the writers and the and the you know I trust those guys so much, and they're so collaborative, and I. And the other thing is in the edits, like I trust their editing so much. Like you can take big swings because you know they're not going to let you look like a prick in the edit. Right. Like, right. Big swings in terms of improvising. Yeah, you can try stuff. You can do weird things, and 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 they'll they'll protect the character. How much do you improvise? 
A fair amount. They let you do that? I mean, yeah. in terms of, like, there is a script. Oh, yeah. The script is mostly what you see on the show. Right. Um, uh, but sometimes they'll use improvised stuff. And right. like I said, it helps me just lose They do, an, do they do, like, a few takes and they say, like, have more fun with, you know, just go for it? You know, it's the most, they're, they're really uh, open. It, it, and, they're, they're, you know, it's like Mike Judge, Alec Berg, who's a writer, was, like, ran Seinfeld for a while. Uh-huh. Like, all these people are incredibly experienced. Like, if I had written... For as long and as well as these guys have, yeah. I might be kind of proprietary about the material. Yeah. But they're really not. I mean, they just, it's not even like, okay, do our script five times and then do one fun run. They're like, let you improvise throughout. Um, I think they want us to get the scripted stuff because usually that's the best version of the scene, you know? Right. But it's it's amazing how, how, un, uh, how egoless the whole place feels. And how what was your experience when you were first cast with Martin Starr, who you had these feelings about? <laughs> it's weird. You know, it's weird to have like the, the sort of fantasy version of a person replaced by the real version of the person. It's hard for me now to think of him as like the guy who played Bill Havertruck. Cause I've had enough, you know, just like personal experiences with him. That I... But like when you first got there, did you... I was intimidated, you know, I was intimidated and excited. And did you say anything? Yeah, I probably did. I probably gushed. I'm usually not very good about playing it cool. It's hard yeah, for yeah. me to. He's a very sweet guy. He's a very sweet guy. He's such a like sensitive, kind guy. He took he took me out to lunch right after we started. Uh-huh. Like after we shot the pilot. And, yeah, and that was nice. Like that, it felt like just you two. Yeah, just the two of us. Uh huh. And he's Buddhist. He was telling me about yeah. Buddhism and. Yeah, it seems to work for. Him. He was brought up with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Most people who are Buddhist were like became Buddhist. I feel like most people I know who are Buddhist became Buddhist within the past like five weeks. You know, right, right. it's like always like <laughs> like a recent affectation. Yeah, yeah. But Martin's like the real deal. Yeah, he was yeah. brought up with that that strand of it. Yeah. And so it's very interesting. Did I must have watched the first episode because the 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 fellow who died. Yeah. What's his name again? Uh Christopher Evan Welsh. Christopher Evan Welsh died. And they sort of recast that part with a woman who seems to be kind of playing him a little. Yeah, it's similarly dysfunctional yeah. character. Yeah, that must have been heavy to have that kind of uh, tragedy on. A yeah, set. it was weird. It happened in the midst of shooting, and you know this. This uh, I didn't know him very well because right. we hadn't shot a lot of stuff together. But still, it was like you know. It's, oh, it's like heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah. a young guy had a, uh, a young daughter, and he was. I, you know, I think kind of like the funniest guy on the show. I mean, he it's was an amazing character, incredible. And in TV, you know, usually you see people sort of warm up into their characters. Yeah. He just came in like first episode with this fully fleshed out, like very ornate, peculiar guy. Yeah, I was blown away by it. And I had like this acting coach in New York who was asking about the show, and I told her that she that uh, that he was doing it, and she's like him. Because she'd seen him in Shakespeare in the Park, he'd done all this like heavy New York theater yeah. stuff where he'd been amazing. So, so he's a real, he's like actor. the real deal, yeah. Real, and the whole thing is pretty fascinating. I, I, I really took to it right away. That's yeah. that's nice to hear Mark. because like it didn't uh, the comedy ensemble is so great right. and the and the backdrop is so great that it it doesn't matter really what's you know the idea of of the startup or what what's real and what isn't real it doesn't matter cuz the comedy's so fucking strong and the world is so strong for comedy and it's just great and you got judge over there right everybody it's going to go on for a while i hope so all right man it was good talking yeah, to you yeah you too thanks for coming zach thank you
That's it. Good talk, right? Great guy. Love that guy. Very funny. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. We'll get uh, we'll get it updated with the with the new new tour dates as soon as the tickets go on sale. Uh, you you heard it here first. Is that why am I saying that? Okay. Yeah, you can do other stuff at WTF Pod. Get on the mailing list. I'm going to write the update right now to send out tomorrow, which will be Monday, which is not your business. It's a, it just screw up your whole time thing. But you know, I'm doing this on the road. And all right. Boomer lives!